Welcome back everyone to episode 37 of the Mind Not Business podcast presented by Bennett Creative Media. I'm your host, Easton Bennett, and on the show we have Jared Lundy. And Jared, how's it going today? Goody, how are you doing? Not too bad, are you not okay too with bad. That? Is, you know, is oh, that, yeah. Okay. That's why I say my mom and ex-girlfriends call me E. <laughs> and but, I think it's just me. I, I just jumped on yep. board with that. We'll add you to the list. That's yeah. totally that's totally fine. It's, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, I like it. E or East, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever you want to throw uh, out there. I've been using it for a while now, so I'm kind of stuck on it. Yep. It's, E-B. A lake, it's a rice lake thing. Yeah, it's funny because I went to Canada to play hockey. And jokingly, my teammates were like, oh, what do you want us to call you? And I said, Beeston instead of Easton. And they thought I was serious. So that and then ever since then, they're like, oh, Beeston, that's a horrible name. I was like, guys, I was just joking. But no, that'll work. So let's get right into it like yes. we always do. What do you do? Someone that doesn't know who Jared Lundin is, maybe they just moved to mind. Sure. They're like, who is this guy? What do you do? Yep. Um, I own uh, Tires Plus. And uh, the Valvoline store here in Minot, we got a new one coming up in North Minot this uh, next year. Uh, and just recently bought Bones Barbecue. And um, I mean, yeah, involved in a lot of community things. And yeah. So serial entrepreneur, would you call yourself? You know, I mean, that's the term, right? Is that what it is? You know, that's what they say, you know, but I mean, um, yeah, sure. We can say that for sure. So what does your origin story look like then? Did you always know you're business minded? Did you go to school for business? Um, you know, for the most part, yes. I grew up in a family business, so we, we were every every breakfast, every lunch, everything we did was around the family business. So okay. yes, and uh, yeah, when I was little, I was a lemonade salesman kind of guy. I mean, when I was in college, I sold life insurance. I I peddled ozone machines in college to okay. all the bars. I mean, so like my brother Jay and I would go out, we'd sell a, a piece of equipment. It was supposed to clean up the smoke smell yep. when you smell a smoke in a bar. And then part of our agreement is if you bought it from us for a year, we'd come out to your bar, uh, the landing before Chuck owned it, uh, the lamp lighter, all these little places we'd stop and we'd take our uh, cleaner out. And we'd scrub these little plates and we'd put them back in as part of our service. Okay. We bought one. We bought an initial pack of them, and after you bought the initial pack, you're supposed to make like two grand, and we made price concessions. But at the end of it, I think what we actually made was Jay got a free one. You yeah, know? really? Yeah, we like bartered something in between, but Jay got a free one. Okay. Uh, and then he had it at his house for a while because, you know, he, he smoked. But, mm. um, yeah, it was, you know, and so, yeah, I, I could say that. I, I mean, never not once have I ever looked at anything and said, hmm, I'd like to see what I could do with that. Okay. I mean, the older I get, the more I understand you know, like nonstop is not a good thing. You know, yep. you want to kind of be consistent with something. So, um, but I never really wanted to work in the family business. Uh, my goal in life, honestly, Easton was always to own restaurants. Okay. That was from, from the family, 10. the family business was Jerome's Jerome's body shop. Yeah. Okay. And I, and my, my dad bought it in 1976. I was three years old. And so I moved there. My mom had a daycare at home. And so then that became my daycare. So okay. the, the body shop men became my uncles and aunts and everything else. I mean, so the, the customers were my friends. I mean, like a peanut machine and two chairs. Uh, yeah. And then I took my naps in the cars where the guys worked on them. So okay. I can sleep anywhere. My wife makes fun of me because I, mean, I, I literally can fall asleep right now on the ground right here. <laughs> yep. Give me five minutes to be quiet. I'll sleep because okay. I grew up in a body shop where they're grinding on cars and yeah, and they got so, wrenches and drills everything. and everything. So yeah. So, but, and we were forced to work there. We were kids in the summer. So that was kind of like, that was, that was my dad made us because my mom was up there. So we had to go there. So, and yeah. so I painted, I picked weeds, I did everything. I hustled, you know, all the time when we were little and that's just how we did it. So you really, it stemmed from just being in that family business. Do you think being in that family business then kind of pushed you in the direction of business later on in life? For sure. Okay. So what, uh, you know, what was it growing up in a family business, um, pushing you on later in life? When did you have that spark in your head? Was it high school, college? I know you mentioned being like a lemonade salesman growing up, but when did you really know, okay, 
I, that's the industry I want to go into. What's really funny about uh, that is I actually was, they used to have a thing called the invention, invention hotline. Okay. And you could make inventions. And I submitted like numerous inventions when I was in high school. You just call and tell them? No, it's, it was like a toll free number, like infomercial. Okay. And then they'd send you out an invention packet and then you get your idea found. And so I, for like, so like this was back when they first had the, the uh, yard waste places. Okay. Yep. And so I'm like, why would you have to reuse garbage bags? Let's just have a reusable garbage bag. Mm-hmm. So I invented that, sent it into them. And then I also worked at Roger Ward, North American moving furniture and in the Crescent wrenches, the little thing would always slip. So they actually have this now that they have that wrench with a little, 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 uh, Oh, the little piece inside yep. of it. Yeah. And so you can have one thing fits all. I invented something similar to that when I was in, was I was in high school. Yep. And so, um, so I, I think I've always tried to make something better. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess, you know, honestly, my day, when I, when I graduated from college, I went to school first for hotel restaurant management with, an, with wanted to go on to be a chef. And, okay. You know, going to Morehead State to play football. Mm-hmm. And I was going to get my degree and then go to Johnston, Wales and get to become a chef and then just grind through that whole process and own my own restaurant someday. That, yeah. was, my, that was my my goal. Okay. I didn't work out, came back to Morehead State and just finished up college and went to work at Sports World, went to work for Wells Fargo. And I figured I was going to work my tail off with Wells Fargo, get to like a vice president's position, have enough money and open a restaurant. That was my plan. Okay. And then in 2000, my dad said to me, hey, I'm going to buy this tire store. It's going bankrupt. I want you to be the manager. And I'm like, ha ha, I wear a suit every day. I'm not going to work at some tire store, Yeah. you know? And so um, that's that was the next, you know, and I I said no twice. My wife got in the room. My dad's smart. He got my wife in the room the third time. Okay. We had his first grandchild, my oldest son, Jackson. Mm-hmm. And he, and my wife's like, I think it's a great idea. And I I didn't like mine at the time. I wasn't a Minot guy. I was yeah. like, let's leave here as fast as possible. And so we stayed here. And um, I think, you know, once you get your teeth around something like that, yeah, being kind of, it's it was, that was, it took like three years of like a lot of pain to kind of become entrepreneurial at that point. But okay. I think once you got past the initial shock of everything that was going on, I'd never had worked in that type of an industry before or been the guy that my dad bought it. Mm-hmm. It was going bankrupt and now I had to save it. Okay. That was yeah. Cause tough. that's what I was wondering if, if you weren't, if that was your first venture and your dad, did he just kind of throw you to the wolves and say, he figure was involved, it out? But like at the body shop, he was 20 some years old. And that was the old school way of doing things. Like they knew what they had in their, uh, how they were successful. They were by their checking account. Like they managed yeah. their checking account. They didn't manage their P and L's. And I have, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in inventory. He never dealt with inventory at the body shop. It was yeah. just in time. You ordered a part, you put it on, you get paid. Okay. Now we're stocking things. So even though like the P and L's were showing profit and loss after we wasn't showing profit and loss, there yeah. was no cash. Cause I kept growing the inventory. I, okay. didn't, I didn't, I didn't know the relationship. Yeah. Sorry to say minus state, you didn't teach me that. And so, <laughs> I had to learn that the old fashioned way by asking a lot of questions. Do you think that, you know, you go to school for business and you learn all these things. Do you think a lot of learning about business things, like you said about that is just getting your hands dirty and having experience? Well, I hate to say this, but if you go to a, you know, like a larger university that has a really clean track as far as like a lot of work experience, yep. then maybe that you can get that somewhere else. Maybe it's Ohio state or whatever that might be. Yep. But if you go to a college like Minnesota, you're going to get the framework, but you have to do it on your, on your, by yourself. Yeah. If you're going to go to college for business and just hang out during your four years, that's going to be kind of tough. Yeah. I, I think you're gonna have a tough time graduating with any type of work experience because yeah. it's half and half. I mean, I've applied both equally my entire life. Mm. It's not like you're going to Harvard business. Correct. Yeah. So you mentioned, I think earlier in our conversations that you had opened up some restaurants earlier in your career. Yep. What did that look like? Um, well, the green mill here in Minot, I was, uh, but I was not part of the leadership team at that point. Sports World Stadium, 
I was uh, the bar manager. Um, and so, uh, was it, that in the Badlands building? Yep. No. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. And so I, I worked for the Yale family and that was a, a great experience for me. Um, and I loved it. It was nine months there. I graduated from college, um, and, uh, and, uh, got married and, uh, came back from my honeymoon and started working at sports world. Okay. So then what did the transition look like? So Lay out this time frame for me. The the restaurants you opening them. When did Tires Plus come into play? What does that uh, yep. timeline look like? So restaurants were in college mostly. I, okay. My first restaurant job was eighteen years old. At ground round opened the ground round. Mm-hmm. Went to Applebee's. Went to Green Mill and kind of bounced around from there. Then I then my last nine months of college sold life insurance amongst a thousand other little things. I, I never I always worked forty hours during college. Yeah. Um, then I graduated from college and. Uh, be going to Sports World Stadium to give me the bar manager. Mm-hmm. I did that for nine months. Uh, and then uh, after that, 18 months later, I mean, for the next 18 months, I worked at Wells Fargo uh, and became the branch manager there. And at that point, my dad said to me, hey, I have an idea. Okay. So about two and a half years <clears throat> out of college, my dad said, I have a great idea for you. Let's get you involved in this tire store that's going bankrupt. Okay. So you mentioned working like 40 hours a week throughout college. Where do you think that drive comes from? Did you always just want to say, I always want to be doing something, working, I want money? Is that what it stemmed from? Or what was that? Because well, a lot of kids, you know, they might yep. work 15, 20 hours a week, but what made you want to do more? I, I think about this all the time because a lot of the young folks that work with me, I'm like, you know, to, it, for me, it was survival. Like I wanted mm-hmm. things, so I had to work for them. Okay. Like, there was no way around it. I wanted to go to Montana on ski trips. So I had to work for those things. Yeah. I wanted a vehicle. I had to work for those things. But also, I just have a tough time doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, I get super bored. Okay. So, like, I mean, I don't mind watching TV, but, like, I record every football game. Yeah. Uh, so I can fast forward through the commercials, my commercials, too. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so, but yeah. So, but, I mean, I, I, I don't believe that we're here to just exist and do nothing. I believe that we're supposed to have purpose and, and my purpose every day is to find out what that is. So. Okay. No, that's awesome. And that's what one thing, you know, if I wasn't working all the time. A lot of people ask me, they're like, well, why are you working so much? I'm like, I just get bored. Like that's, that's really what it stems from. So being a business owner, do you think anyone could be a business owner and learn to be like that? Or do you think that's something that you kind of have to have in yourself to begin with? I I think people could try to become that, but I think it really has to be, I has it has to be a little bit bread India. I mean, I think mm-hmm. if you want to be successful, you could definitely do that. I, today's day and age is just so much success around. There's this you know, kind of like not successful and successful. Yep. Then there's the middle and the middle seems like they don't want to be successful really. I mean, mm-hmm. just in my opinion. So they're, 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 well, I work 40 hours. That's what I, you know, I, I you know, you, you gotta be willing to go the extra mile yeah. to, to really do that. So, I mean, if you're willing to work 60 to 80 hours a week and not like in a painful way, yeah. but like you get up at seven and you go to bed at 10 or 11, you work the entire day. That's not work. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoy what I do. So if you think work is that, then you probably would enjoy it. But if that's like hard for you, then you probably should watch the Dukes of Hazard at four o'clock every day and, <laughs> yep. and make sure you eat three meals. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> pivoting a little bit, then talking about a lot of people when they go into business, they say you should start something around your passion. Mm-hmm. Was the automotive industry, I'm going to lean towards Set. no, was that your passion or... So that, that's what my big struggle was. And I don't believe in wasting time in anything I do. Even yep. though my wife was like, hey, who cares? In two years, if this doesn't work out, you can always pop smoke and do something different. Mm-hmm. But my mom, she said to me, she goes, you love people. And as long as you're working with people, you'll enjoy it. And okay. she couldn't have been more correct. So I wasn't passionate about the food or the experience. But what I grew to love was customers didn't expect great service in the automobile and in, in automotive business. Mm-hmm. And so like it, I took my server mentality and applied it to that 
And that's really where our success came from. And that's okay. why, you know, we went from zero to hero over the course of two years because I love serving people. Yeah. And I think that's, I think about that a lot when you see these big, huge national brands, like someone that owns a garbage company where they're cleaning up garbage, whatever it might be. Yep. I don't think that person is passionate about cleaning up garbage, but they might be passionate about, you know, building a team Correct. or hiring people or, you know, like you said, customer service. So I really think that whole passion fallacy is it's not a hundred percent true. So, uh, I want to pivot a little bit into, you mentioned Valvoline franchisee for that, right? So what is the difference? What would you say the differences are pros cons for being a franchisee or just starting a business one off something brand new? Well, like, so like tires plus was a franchisee or franchise. The first three years were involved in that. That got, it's no longer. In fact, I'm going to change my name this year at Tires Plus, something different. Okay. Working on that right now. Yeah. So um, I had structure with Tires Plus. It was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Valvoline was extraordinary because I started that from scratch with Mobile and Loop Express, copied a manual, made my own manuals, made my own training course, did everything myself. Okay. So like the good news is you understand everything at a high level. The bad news is you waste a ton of time doing it. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is everybody wants something from you. And if you have good energy some large corporation is going to make money off you and you might just barely be, make it getting by. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's great to learn from a large uh, company the first time, yep. take all their tricks and then apply them as being a local business person in, the, in a community. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Okay. The first three years at Tires Plus, I learned a lot. It was a great experience, but for the last 19 years, I've been independent. Yeah. No, okay. No one knows that, but we're completely independent. There's no, there's no mothership. There's no nothing. There are tires pluses out there, but they don't talk to me. Yeah. So that was my question then. So if you had to give advice to someone, maybe they're deciding, do I start a franchise? Do I start my own thing? So you'd say a franchise isn't necessarily horrible if you learn from it, but then eventually. If you can, but most of the, these smart franchises, they, they lock you in. But I mean, from a purely profitability and job enjoyment, like I love working in my Valvoline system because okay. a lot of the dirty work has been done for me. So I get to focus on what I love and that's my team and the customer experience. Mm-hmm. And like they have strategies for those. And they, and I think if you've been to my Valvoline, you probably say, wow, it's a pretty great experience. And, okay. so, and, and because I focus on the team and making sure that we execute, but yeah. that's not always the case if you're an entrepreneur. And I think mm-hmm. there's so much opportunity in today's day and age for creation of, of, of things that fit a niche. Yeah. So, I, but it just depends what your expectations are. If you want to make a million dollars, that might be not the case, but if you want to make a good living and, and provide a service, there's lots of opportunity to make, 50 to hundred thousand dollars in this marketplace. And I think that is a big misconception is that everyone thinks every business needs to get to a million plus dollars right. where even if you're doing, you know, $150,000 revenue, 200,000, even a hundred thousand 50, it's like, if you can work for yourself, it opens up so many opportunities. And even 100%. if, even if you have them as a side gig, I want to pivot a little bit into mentors now. So I assume your dad might've been a mentor. Did you have right. any other mentors that kind of helped you through the business process? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, Dr. Uh, or actually was not Lowell Latimer at Minot State was a good friend of mine. After college, I'd call him up for ideas. Um, my dad, my mom, my mom, they both were great for that uh, 10 years because my deal with my parents was that in 10 years, I could buy them out. Okay. And Jay got the same deal. Uh, so in 2000, I got involved in 2010, I bought them out. Okay. That was their agreement. So yeah, for the 10 years, it was great training wheels, uh, somebody else's cash. That was a really good situation. Mm-hmm. Um, it was win-win because they got a good payday out of the deal. They got a business that was going bankrupt. They bought for next to nothing. Yep. And then I bought it for full value 10 years later. Yeah. So everybody wins, which is fun. Uh, those are good situations. Um, 
in the, in the business world, there's been a lot of them, uh, a lot of people that are, you know, I'm in 20 groups. Mm-hmm. So there's people in that that I've worked with that I've just found to be fascinating. And yeah. so, yeah, there's been a, honestly a ton of them. So what would you say to someone that's maybe just graduating college or just getting into the business world? How can people start to find these influential people to be around? You know, I, 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 what I find is, and there's a lot of folks at Minus State that I work with, I'm around, you got to be present and you got to be active. And, and that's a problem that I see is you're not, these people, it's not, they owe you anything. You have to kind of be present. Yeah. So you got to say yes to opportunities. And what I mean by that is yes to committees and yes to networking and yes to outreach, because that's where you're going to have a moment where you're going to find somebody that's going to talk to you about something that's going to, going to spark mm. that in you. Okay. So it's, it's never, there's a, there's no magic formula for that human intuition or brain but you really got to put yourself out there. You got to be present. Be a yes, man. You, you got to be, you got to be present. And it might be like, oh my gosh, that's such a, you know, ridiculous situation to go to this event or mm-hmm. to do this. Well, what's your option? Yeah. To stay home and do nothing or to go out there and see what happens. Sit at your desk and meet nobody. Correct. Or yeah. stay home and, and play Xbox and meet nobody. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's I think reality. that's something that in now 2023, a lot of people are thinking that because, oh, I can DM someone on Instagram or whatever it might be. Whereas the old school, you had to go out and Correct. talk to people and meet people. And people are pretty good about it. I know I am, you know, and I get a fair amount of people like, hey, how do you know how this happened or whatever? Can you help me? Yeah. And I, I don't have a problem, but sometimes it gets, you know, sometimes it's you, you get lucky and you, mm-hmm. you got to keep lots of fishing rods in the water in business. And so yeah. if you're new and trying to get into something, I would throw as many rods in the water as possible. That is a fantastic piece of advice. One of my favorite things is using idioms like that to explain things. Uh, so let's talk about growth a little bit. Tires Plus, was there anything you did to make it grow? So it obviously went from almost being bankrupt to a successful company. What did that look like? Was there any main principles you tried to implement? My brother Jay was good initially. Uh, he was a marketing lover. And my dad had went through a, a marketing program at the body shop. Okay. And what, I, and what I found was it felt like, and I think large corporations do this very well, is they advertise a bunch. And what I found is that most businesses don't understand the advertising, but what they don't really understand is the promise that they're advertising. Okay. So I always said early on is, is we're going to advertise, but we're going to keep the promise. And so we did that. So we not only did we advertise, but we kept that promise. So that way it was a full circle. And it actually, I mean- there was years where we were, you know, a somewhat mature business was growing 25 to 30% a year mm-hmm. initially. And so that was really kind of fun to be part of that. It, it was, yeah, no one, no one was really advertising in this, in this market, like that type of stuff. Like, all right, we're going to take a quick second to hear from this week's sponsor Midco. There's no time for downtime in our fast paced business world. So why settle for anything less than ultra smooth, ultra reliable business technology backed by a team of dedicated industry professionals. Midco Business Services are here to work around the clock with built-in redundancy to provide the ultimate peace of mind while you run your business. Start with a free consultation to explore our adjustable service plans at midco.com slash business today. Thank you, Midco, for sponsoring this week's episode. I've been a Midco user ever since I uh, started my business and have had no issues. So if you guys are looking to, uh, if you're looking to check out some of the services they provide, midco.com slash business today. Okay, Jared, let's get back into the questions a little bit here. Hiring. So are you involved in the hiring process for these businesses? Um, what do you look for when you're, you know, hiring good people, building a good team? Um, yeah, job time. You know, I mean, yep. that, that's the first thing. At what level are you talking about? You said I, have, I currently have 130 employees, you know, Oof. starting from, uh, you know, execs down to, uh, you know, my, my brand new loop text, tire text. But yeah, I think job time, of course, is the number one thing. Okay. So then what do you look for 
on a higher level when you're hiring executives and people that are, you know, maybe more of the decision makers? What it may be more of what are you looking for in a partner, a business partner sure. or a relationship? Well, I, you know, I think it's, you're always looking for what everybody's looking for, the opposite of you, right? Mm-hmm. Or But with a fair amount of same core values that you share, you know, like, so we're, we're bringing to the value thing right now. We've l- realized how important values are. Mm-hmm. Like people we hire that don't have our values, how they don't work with us, yeah. how they just rubs you wrong. They're just a little bit different. They're weird kind of, mm-hmm. you know, like, the, you know, even yeah. organizational mesh. And so I think having similar values is important. Um, but just, you know, for me, it's just people that have a high desire to speak everyday matter. Okay. You know, if you don't have, if, you, if you're going to be part of my leadership team, does everyday matter to you? Because yeah. everyday matters to me. And let's not waste one day on just being lazy or indecision. Yeah. And that's a big thing is some people might be like, oh, I'll just take take an easy day today. Correct. But then I almost feel guilty doing that because like I could have done so much. You, you get to the end of the Waste day time. and you're like, I could have done so much. Yeah. So obviously we talked about uh, business kind of running in the family. I want to dive into that a little bit more. Do you see the people in your family that are also running businesses and involved in the business industry as a resource? If you need to ask them questions about something, you know, what are the pros and cons of having other members of your family involved in the business community? Uh, Jay was always great. My dad was, my dad was, my dad and mom both were fantastic. Uh, Jay and I don't talk as much as we used to, but for the 10 years I worked in the family business when we were both just managers for my dad. Yeah. I mean, we complain about him all the time and then we share best practices. And then we, we both got on our own. We were kind of like, Oh, that's super exciting. We'd share ideas and benchmarks and we still, Jay still sends me super long text messages asking me one simple question, Yep. you know? So <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's a really fun environment for us as a, in, in our family meetings or everything we do is really kind of geared around like, just the question we call it the great experiment of business. Okay. You know? And so we are always the great experiment. Everything we do is an experiment. It's mm. not really a proven until you get it figured out. So a lot of people say, don't go into business with family. What would be your thoughts on that? Depends on who you are and what's going on. I mean, like okay. I don't encourage my kids to go to, you know, my son's Jackson's in Florida selling solar Jaggers at, you know, biology. He doesn't know what he wants to do. And yeah. my daughter Berkeley has been pretty self-proclaimed that she's going to work for me and I might be okay with that. But yeah. you know, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, I know many, many families that it's ruined them. Yeah. I think you have to walk into the right attitude and the attitude is basically is this is a corporation mm-hmm. and there's a hierarchy and bite into that first. Yeah. And if you think this is going to be a family business where there's going to be exceptions because you're family members, that's the wrong attitude. What's the word for that? Narcissism? Is yeah, that what narcissism. it is? Yeah. Yep. So do you, do, would you go about it as, hey, when it's work time, it's work time. When it's family time, it's family. And then you, gotta, you just you draw have that one line. One foot in both worlds and you really got to draw the line. You can't, your emotional intelligence has to be at a higher level. I really truly think that. And mm-hmm. that's just really where it's at. You have to realize that the, the space you're in is not personal. It's based upon exceeding customers' expectations. And that's really what it's all about. You're trying to feed the customer the best experience. And that means we have to be not selfish about my wants and your wants. How does this help the customer? Just because because we have a relationship outside of business doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that the customer should suffer because of that. Correct. The only person that... Like my wife and I, like I, that's way too tight if I can't, you know, work with her. So she's never been part of the family business because that's uncompromising. That's my wife. But my dad and I, I mean, he called me names. I've called him names. Yep. We can snap out of it like that and we're back to normal. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to have that professionalism and realize that it's not personal. Was there ever a time when your wife wanted to be involved in the family oh, yeah. business? Kind of. And you just I mean, said, no way. Well, <laughs> she kind of, every now and then today she thinks about it, but I'm just like, it's way better the way it's working. So yeah. she just wants to help. She just sees what's, what's how big it's become. Yeah. And she just wants to help. But I just know that it's better this way. So did you ever envision when you started that 
things would be this big or were you just going in, you know, one day at a time? One day at a time. Yeah. I mean, I always had a plan, you know, it was, it, yes. Initially it was just trying to get through that moment. Okay. But as soon as we got one done, we bought Bismarck two years later, the Falvaline grew in two years after that. And then seven years later, I bought property in North Bismarck. I mean, so once I got moving, I, I, I knew, I realized that scale was really important in my business that I would really was we one and done with one store. And okay. it, it, people think that I'm selfish or, but really it's about being independent in today's day and age. Mm-hmm. And I compete with Walmart, Costco, Sam's club, the largest retailers in the world yeah. it, locally. And I'm still surviving. Mm-hmm. And, and so, it's creating your own correct. thing for you. So you're not relying on someone else. And the thing about it is that we're, we provide a unique experience for our teammates. And like we are better to our team. I'm no, not, a, no offense to anybody else, but yeah. if we're not here as a medium sized company going forward, you're going to be left with the corporate option. And, yeah. I'm not, and I'm not saying that's a bad option and you can grow in my business. You can have a one little shop, but you're not going to be there very long. Mm-hmm. So you really have to create in scale and that's what we're doing. So how do you, how do you think about scale then? If someone had to implement, you know, some principles on how to scale, what would you say about that? What are your thoughts on scale? Well, I think the first part is, is a business that you can scale, you mm-hmm. know? So like it, in our world, we work on process and repetition all the time, you know? So it's, it's, it's really, have you defined the process and you, you know, do you understand how you can replicate that? Yeah. So you first have to make some def- de- de- definitive, like, this is how we do things so you can replicate it. And if okay. you don't have that, you're not going to have scale. Okay. So pivoting a little bit then into the community, you started in the Minot community, obviously you're in Bismarck now. What are your thoughts on supporting the community in turn that they'll support you back? You know, the double, you know, that that I do you, you do me thing, it doesn't really make sense to me. I think as a local business, it's required that we participate. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I serve on numerous boards. I'm involved in things that people are like, oh, you know, it's great. You know, but it's like, that's how it was, you know, 50 years ago. The local business people were there to support the community because that's what made sense to them. And that yeah. has not changed today. So I support Minot because I want Minot to be successful. I support Western North Dakota because I want Western North Dakota to be competitive against the nation. The enemy is yeah. not in my backyard. My enemy is outside the wire. Yeah. And so I want to support Minot so Minot gets stronger, which in turn helps me. So it's never, but I haven't done it in a way like, oh, I should get support back. Yeah. It just, I'm going to support Minot because the stronger Minot is, the stronger I can become. Give without thinking that you're going to get something in return. It just makes sense just without even thinking, just it's yeah. better. So then are there any, you know, organizations, I know you talked about boards and things you're involved in the community. What are those partnerships that you've been involved in that have helped you excel in your business career? You know, early on, besides YP, the Rice Lake uh, yeah. board, <laughs> that was a fun one. Yep. And I learned so much, every experience, that's what saying yes means, you know? Um, but one of my first probably best examples of that was YP here in Minot. You know, I was, you know, late. And that's young professionals, right? Yep. Okay. In my thirties. And I was in Bismarck a lot every week. Lived there, I had an apartment there for a long time. Would live in both markets because I just had to be there that much. And they had YP in Bismarck. They didn't have a YP in Minot. And I okay. kept coming to Minot. Hey, we need YP, we need YP. Finally, John McMartin said, hey, you want to start a YP organization here? So I created a board and, and, mm-hmm. and created YP from scratch here in Minot. Now, the things I learned in my thirties, I still transfer over to my late forties today yeah. of how to get things done. I was surprised that when I got people in the same room, how we could move the needle and, and, and YP is still functioning here in Minot. Uh, we did some crazy things when we were YP. I was just in a, a business that had this YP Minot state thing. Uh, and it was just, it's okay. I was just, in a, I just left the business and I was like, that's the thing we made it way back in the day to support Minot state as young professionals. Yeah. But I mean, 
Um, I just learned you could get things done by getting a group together that had a similar motive. And so that was my first example of, a, of many United Way, Bishop Bryan Catholic schools. I mean, I've just, and it's been so much fun And the Rice Lake adventure, I yep. mean, uh, a board that resigns and I'm the last member. And, and yep. we took that thing and, I mean, we got $2 million from the state. We kind of revamped that entire lake. That lake was kind of in a bad spot, but oh yeah, got great people in the same room and it was fun. So for people that maybe have thought about joining a board or maybe they just joined their first board, what would be your advice to them? How do you be a good board member? Uh, you got to listen first for a long time. You know, I was fortunate enough to like why people were all equals, but I was part of uh, Jam before that, which was greater expectations for Minot. Okay. There's a lot of great people that are today out getting a lot done in the city of Minot mm-hmm. that were part of Jam. And that was all about the one cent city sales tax. I mean, that was basically trying to get it passed with young people. Yeah. So it was just a, a marketing trick, but yep. it, it, it worked. And, um, but I've, I've learned, you know, just, you, you know, at first, you know, I try, I, I actually have to hold my tongue because I just always want to talk and I yeah. have to walk into things and just listen for as much as I possibly can and then try to participate with what I know versus trying to speak from what I think I know. So what do you think that listening is important? And I know what the answer in my head is, but I want to hear you say it. Why do you think listening is important? <laughs> what does that, what does that open up? If you go into a meeting and you just well, let the other first people of all, talk, there's those that just talk and they and they lose credibility in the group, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so for me, I think the problem is it's your ego that always sells you out, right? Yeah. And so when I shut my mouth and listen, I shut my ego down. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do it for me personally. So listening for me is a tactic from trying to shut my ego down because mm-hmm. it has a lot to say, <clears throat> you know, and it, not in a bad way, just in a super expressive and excited yeah. about my life way. And that's one thing that I learned. I read a book called Never Split the Difference. It's by Chris Voss, you know, The Art of Negotiation. And he says to just listen. So ask a question, let the other person talk, and don't be afraid of the silence because people will try to fill that silence with their own uh, voice, you know. So that's something I started to do going into client meetings. I just ask them a question and let them talk because they're going to give me more information and in turn it's going to help the uh, meeting move along. So what does your day-to-day process look like as a business owner and entrepreneur? I assume it's different every day, but what does it look like? It is different every day. Um, So the good news is it's pretty stable as far as week by week. Uh, So Tuesday mornings are my management leadership meetings. Uh, Mondays I leave open. Uh, Wednesdays I'm in Bismarck. Uh, Thursdays uh, I've got some boards but mostly open and Fridays are open. So it just depends on what I'm working on. Yeah. Like I just got done working on uh, yearly evals for my leadership team, game plans for the entire year. I'm working on strategy for 2023 uh, marketing right now. This morning I worked on just scoping out what's dedicated for advertising, what's left over for advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get done with that. We'll get strategy in place. We'll move, you know, just, just keeps moving and moving and moving. And so there's every, every quarter there's a goal we have. And we, and, yeah. Yeah. So expanding, you know, business growth, you talked about this. I sent you a text on things we should talk about. And you've got some big things coming up here in the next one, two, three, four, five years. Talk to me about that a little bit, the day-to-day growth. Yeah. So when you put your, when you say yes to opportunities, you, the opportunities knock back. And so I wanted the Fargo market really bad. Valvoline was, it was open. It it just became open. And so I was trying to get that kind of secured because Fargo, if you're haven't heard is a pretty big market for yep. it's one of the biggest markets in the United States. Just, you know, Oh really? Oh, it's, 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 it's a really neat market. It's, it's untapped. Okay. So Valvoline uh, said yes to me. And when they said yes to me, they said, Oh yeah, we'll give you Fargo, but you have to sign up for uh, 10 stores in five years. So I got to build uh build or buy in 
change the name of 10 Valvolines in the next five years. So I'm busy. So we got North Minot. That's going to be exciting though, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So at our Christmas party, we talked about the fact that right now at 130 employees, if we get these 10 stores built, we'll be 130 employees plus. So yeah. we have 260 employees in five years. Good Lord. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I would help Crazy. you if I knew anything about uh, the automotive industry, but yeah. I know nothing. Yeah. Um, okay. So before we get into the restaurant side a little bit, I want to talk about bones, but do you have any like nightmare business stories or any funny stories or fun stories you can share about tires plus over the last, you know, 21 years, Yeah, 20 years, 23 I mean, years. Yeah. I've, I've got a bunch of them. Um, you know, that honestly just kind of dropped on the spot, but nothing I can share. I mean, I, I, there was, uh, I mean, from buying it from my dad, which was kind of a challenge to opening on day one. Um, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this much. Ego is a big problem, right? Mm-hmm. Ego is, is a big issue. And when we bought Bismarck Tires Plus from corporate Bridgestone Firestone, because the, the, yep. the franchise had dissolved and they were going to close this one in Bismarck. Uh, we, my dad, my brother, and I walked in and they said, you want to buy this location? Sure, no problem. And we walked in and we're like, let's buy it. And they gave us, the number wasn't a lot of, a big number, but we did no market research, looked at no numbers, looked at total sales dollars yep. and said we could make this thing work. Okay. We walked in on day one, told the employees, here's what we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. We went out for dinner that night and we're all wearing Tires Plus stuff. And the waitress goes to us, she goes, you guys work at that place? And we're like, yeah. She's like, she's, they are the worst place in town. They're horrible. <laughs> really? We're all like, wow. You know, like, tell us more about your story. Writing notes down and things yeah. like that. Next you got morning, another napkin? <laughs> yeah. We go for breakfast the next morning. Same story. Waitress is like, do you guys work there? That is the worst. And so we didn't do any research. And it turns out like they had nine managers in like 13 months. And it was, there was drugs was being show. sold out of the back door. It was bad. It was a shit show. It was a great So word. did you have to it do was, oh, it was like just pretty much like change? How did you change the mindset of the community? That well, we had to fire everybody was kind mm-hmm. of what happened first. I mean, over the court, you, you figure you walk in the door and from face value, everybody looks fine. These are, yeah. these are tire techs. These are mechanics. But you soon find out that they are all culturally wrong for your organization. Not, yeah, not great people. Yeah, not great people. And so we start from scratch and we had to build that thing from from dust. It's good that you're not just like, oh, we just kept it going. We we're still selling drugs out of the back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but help subsidize the, yeah. uh, the massive amount of losses we took for the first two years. Um, yeah, we got beat pretty bad, but it was a good learning experience. But then it, it turned around. Yeah, it took a long time. It took like seven years. <laughs> yeah. I, in fact, I built North Bismarck and I never made a dollar in South Bismarck. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. I pushed all my chips in again. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, you got to go all in with the worst hand, right? That's right. So let's pivot a little bit to Bones now. Uh, you know, that's a different industry. It's a restaurant compared to automotive. Correct. What is it like working in two different industries? Are the principles the same of running the business? What is that like? The principles are the same, of course. It's always customer. It's experience. It's mm-hmm. the, the good news about the restaurant is it gets to be creative. Yeah, like it's an experience that's different than we've we, your car's fixed. Have a great day. I mean, we're looking at atmosphere. We're looking at culture a little bit differently. Um, it's hard to pivot from the mental standpoint because you know now I'm. Yeah, I used to be open till eight o'clock at night at Tyrus Plus. Now we close at six. Yeah, we weren't open. We're, we closed on Sundays now. All these things have changed, and now I'm kind of open again. And so like okay. it, it occupies my brain now at night, which isn't really necessarily healthy. <laughs> That's how it is as a business owner. I think though, your brain's always going, whether it's the middle of the night, whether it's in the morning, the middle of the day. The difference is, is if your business is actually open and you're really thinking about it. Like, so like, yeah, I wake up at two in the morning sometimes just thinking about things that happened last day going, and it's just funny how it just pops in your head. But yeah. 
to be open to more hours is, is, is cumbersome to say the least. But um, yeah, it, principles are same. Uh, it's always a team. It's mm. always the people. Um, it's just, it's, it's difficult restaurants today. I mean, they're closing like crazy Yeah, and it's a hard business. I call it my nonprofit. I mean, I should yeah. funnel money to my nonprofit, you know? <laughs> right? You know, well I do funnel money to my nonprofit, but it's mm-hmm. a great business. My dad created it cause he was bored after we, we bought him out. Okay. You know, I negotiated the 10 year buyout with him. I wouldn't come on board unless I had a buyout. So mm-hmm. I got, the, he was 62 years old. You'd think at 62 years old, you'd want to sell out. No way. He did not want to sell out. So after about four years of him kicking around, complaining about people, he created a concept. He, he trained in St. Louis with a guy, uh, Mike Mills, and and created Bones Barbecue. Okay. And that's where it came from. And so my dad, after going through COVID and everything else, and was turning 73 years old, said, I don't need to be doing this anymore at my age. After five years, my lease is up in a year. Do you want to buy it? And so okay. went back to my wife the first time. No. Second time, no. Third time I said, hey, we could diversify like a foundation and have automobiles and food. And this yeah. is a good idea from a family structure. And she, of course, the family part kicks mm-hmm. in. So she says, okay, whatever. So it was never you just, your dad would start something like, give me that. And then he'd start something like, okay, give me that too. Yeah, no, it, okay. was, it was more of, it's more of an honoring of him because he put so much time and energy into it and yeah. financial risk and everything that we love about your podcast. Mm-hmm. It's putting your, putting yourself out there. Yeah. And I just, for his legacy and for what he did there, I felt it was worth fighting for. Um, the sauce yeah. is tremendous and we've got an agreement with, we're trying to get seven states of distribution for the sauce. Okay. And we do want to grow that brand, but we got to get, we got to get the process and replication figured out first. Okay. So that's all like homemade sauce then? Yeah. Okay. Every, yeah. Every, every part of that place is, is homemade and that, you know, we grind our own hamburger. Mm-hmm. We do everything from scratch, which okay. no one does that. And that's difficult and it's expensive and we're trying to be inexpensive in an expensive world. And it's, it's, well, it, you have to have some sort correct. of uniqueness instead of sure. me just going to Applebee's and getting their barbecue bone swings, whatever it is, you know Correct. what I mean? Which we love, right? Yeah. But I mean, they are good. They are good, but you still want some uh, exactly. local flavor. Yeah. But I, uh, my dad would agree with me that bones has the best wings in town. They are good. And I've been trying to convince my friend to go. I was like, dude, let's just go to bones. And he's one of those people that's like, he sticks to what he knows. Correct. He'll go out. He'll just get a plain cheeseburger. Correct. I'm like, dude, we just got to try some things. Get yeah, that. We'll have to, you have to incentivize. Yeah. My wife's been pounding on me to create some incentives. So I'll have to think about that. So well, they got fun. that. You got that beer incentive, right? Correct. It's, two bucks. Yeah. Two yeah. bucks. Yeah. $2 taps. That's. Well, it's a good deal. That's a hell of a deal. Trust yeah. me. That's Thank like well, probably one of the best ones I've ever Correct. seen beer wise. Well, that's, that's the goal. So yeah. Can we cuss on this podcast? Oh yeah. So bones barbecue is three things. When I first walked in the door, yep. we're barbecue. So we're going to have a barbecue theme through everything. We're going to be beer because beer makes sense in barbecue yep. and we're fucking local. Yep. So if you don't like the, you know, that's what we're going to be. Yeah. And, and because, because there's, that's what people want. Yeah. They want barbecue because Traeger sales are through the roof. And exactly. They, people like beer because beer's gone nuts. Mm-hmm. And being effing local is a good thing too. Yeah. Well, and that's where I always love, like I love Famous Dave's. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know if there's many barbecue places around. And that's why I was like, God, I, we need a barbecue place. And then that place opened. And especially it's right down the street. Easy peasy. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, this is, this is amazing. Right. Um, so then what would you say? Like, when do you know, or when do you know that you're ready to, op- to go into a different venture? You got this and it's like, okay, now let's take on this restaurant. Do you think there's ever a point where you know you're ready to do it or is it just kind of jump off a cliff, 
build the plane on the way down. Yeah, there's two. That's good, Easton. Yeah, there's two ways of looking at it. There's they're, they're the, the build the plane on the way down, but I'm way past that in my life. So it's got to mm-hmm. be metrics based. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to have a scorecard. You got to know where you're at. You got to know what you're doing and why you're doing it and how it looks. I mean, I'm constantly re-engineering uh, everything that's in my life from what rents I charge to everything is always being evaluated, how much cash flow every month we're looking at. Yeah. You have to know where you're at and from a, from a small standpoint to a large standpoint. Um, it starts with understanding, you know, it's, it goes back to very simply your product, the people that you're selling it to, the people that work for you and the price point. You okay. Got, you got to know those three P's. So eventually once you get to a point, it's pretty metric based. Like we got to look at what the numbers look like and go from there. Everybody wants to be creative and, and create something that they think it needs for, but is the need really necessary? Does it mm-hmm. really fit what the community wants? You can, and is it going to work? Exactly. Yeah. You can imagine what you were going to imagine, but who are you going to serve it to? Who's going to serve it? And, and what's that product look like and what's the price point and what can we make money on it? Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, every business has to make money to be successful, to keep going. Yeah. If I want to start a unicorn ice cream shop and no Correct. one gives a shit about unicorns. Correct. It's probably not going to be very, and you can successful. sell it to everybody and they're like, that's a great idea, you know? And, but well, and everyone will pat your back. Correct. Saying, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Until you're going bankrupt and you got 20 grand into the deal. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, why haven't you came to my unicorn uh, ice cream uh, shop? I like unicorns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Weird. So, uh, talking a little bit about nonprofits, how do you deal with working with nonprofits? Is that, I assume that is, it's a little bit different than just working on a normal business. Oh, like on a board. Yeah. Okay. When they come ask money for me, I'm like, I don't know. What do you mean? Uh, <laughs> I try to give them what I can. Like, fine. Here you go. Yeah. Just go away, please. <laughs> Twist my arm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, serving on a board is fun because it's, it's just, you're, you're walking in and everybody here is serving at the same capacity. Like we're all volunteers. Yeah. And so again, you have to temper that excitement that you have in your own passion, your business that you're in. Um, but I love it because you learn a lot. If you're really there listening, you're going to pick up things. I serve a lot of times on boards selfishly. Like mm-hmm. some, like a friend of mine said, why do you serve on so many boards? Why do you always get involved in so many yeah. boards? They're like, you know, like you're giving up your time. What's your time worth? Does it make any sense? Well, I'm like, well, first of all, serving, there's a certain joy in that for me. I'm lucky I get the, the ability to serve, that yeah. I have the flexibility in my schedule, that I'm not actually at the counter every day, you know, mm-hmm. working my business so I can serve. But the other part of that whole thing that's magic is if you're really listening and you're really interested in people, you're going to pick up things that yeah. are like super smart. You can learn something from everyone you talk to. Yes. Is what I try to go into, even if I'm like, God, I hate this person, but you can learn something from them. Correct. And if you look at it that way, then there's no really downfall. What's something that you wish you knew when you started, you know, today, Jared talking to 20 year old Jared. I think there's so much information in today's day and age that can help you overcome so many problems that I probably ran into early but you have to be disciplined in reading. You got to be a better reader. You know, I think there's a lot of good wisdom out there. Everybody knows those books that we're talking about, right? Yeah. Everybody, the top 10, 12 books that guys should read, you mm-hmm. know, rich dad, poor dad, you know, that all that, you know, yeah. extreme ownership, all that type of stuff. Take the time and dig into that stuff and then dig into yourself. Yeah. Self-reflect and then work on your ego and then, you know, become the person you're supposed to be. One thing I really had to tell myself when I started reading books was I would read a book and say, okay, that's great. And then move on to the next one, but I wouldn't implement it. And I've really, I really had to train myself. Okay. And whether that means, you know, really reading it slower or reading it multiple times, if you're not implementing something you're learning from the book, then, you know, you might as, you might as well not read it. Because at the end of the day, you're only accountable to you. Exactly. And so you just check the blank. You're in a book. You feel yeah. good about yourself, but nothing actually, nothing changed. Cool. I got my 13th one done yeah. of the year. And it's Woo. like, well, tell me about it. Put like, on your social oh, media account know. like you're some kind of hero. <laughs> yeah, you exactly. Uh, only a couple more questions here for you. 
Mount Rushmore of business advice, top four pieces for someone just getting into the business industry. They don't have to be crazy, but what would you tell them? Four pieces. Oh, wow. It's fun. Um, four pieces. Well, first of all, uh, you, you got to know your customer and you got to know if it makes sense. You, it's, you have to, you got to do a business plan for everything you do. There's none of this, you know, gee whiz, uh, it, metrics matter. Yep. Numbers matter. Number two is, you know, if you're not a people person, probably to stay out of business, I would mm-hmm. honestly. Or get a partner that is. Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. You got to love people. You got to love the people part of it. If you don't love people and like are really interested in what people want, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's those folks that are going to make you better. Yeah. So people matter, product, people, um, cash is king and uh, keep your promises in marketing. Boom. There's four. Last question I got for you before we wrap up the show. This is a fun one. Uh, if you had to rice like party annual party every year, sometimes there's a band. If you had mm. unlimited money, what would be the one band you want to come to the rice like party? Wow, man, that's great. Or maybe you can give me a lineup of three bands. Well, I mean, there's bands I haven't seen that I've always wanted to see, like Pearl Jam. You know, I'm a '90s guy. Okay. Um, but you know, like I don't know, um, Motley Crue. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just love the crew in concert. They're mm-hmm. super fun. Uh, I'm a Kenny Chesney guy, big time. I, okay. I haven't. I've only been to one of his concerts. Went to US Bank. Wasn't in love with it. Uh, too big. I, him intimately at Rice Lake would be pretty powerful. Yep. I think I'd probably hang my hat on Kenny, Kenny Chesney with a next year follow up at Motley Crue. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So if you had your there you go. If you had your three uh, three band lineup, you got one from every genre. You got Pearl Jam, Motley Crue, and Kenny Chesney. Correct. Cool, Jared. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. A lot of good information. Uh, appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Eve. That was episode 37 of the Minot Business Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Share this with a friend, family member, whoever. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you guys next week for episode 38.